Hey, it's episode 41 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Dean. Today on the program is Kate Aronowitz. She's a design partner at Google Ventures and was previously in design leadership positions at companies such as Facebook, Wealthfront, and eBay. We discuss the opportunities and responsibilities of designers as they advance in their careers, gain more influence, and achieve that fabled seat at the table. Kate, thanks for joining me today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I have a question for you. First off, you have an Apple TV? I do. Uh, do you use the YouTube app? No. Oh, okay. Um, see, I thought <laughs> I would kind of get you here on the spot since you work for Google. and um, the. I'm an alphabet. Co- I work for Google Ventures. I know, so. <laughs> but like that, nobody knows what that means except like people who read tech meme. Like That's, that's true. <laughs> so, so you work for Google, so you can help us fix the Google the the YouTube app. No, there was a. Yes, this is actually pretty interesting. Submit your problems, and I'll take care of them. Yeah, that, thanks. Perfect. So the so I have not had cable TV in like ten years. Uh, my kids have grown up with just on demand, you know, Netflix and YouTube, and so we have the Apple TV and the YouTube app, and it was completely redesigned about three weeks ago, and it was designed, and this is why I find this kind of interesting, is designed to be. Uh, material design, like exactly the same as like what's on the, the Roku devices, what's on, uh, Android TV and, and things like that. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a, uh, Apple TV app at all. And it's like hard, hard to use because you're used to using all the affordances of the other one. Um, and my kids are really upset. So, <laughs> gonna, so we need to, I need to find somebody over to say like, ah, you got to bring some of it back. Um, but I don't Yeah, think- it's funny. It would be my son that would be using it actually. If anybody in my house was my 13 year old boy, but not me. <laughs> we, uh, we, we, my kids are six and eight and we watch a surprising amount of YouTube together, you know, yeah. like, um, tutorials and cooking stuff and craft stuff. They love that kind of stuff. So nice. And my son, <laughs> and I'll be, uh, be honest, me, like watch a lot of people playing video games, you know, kind of. See yes. It. That's what my son does. Yeah. I have not gotten into that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will not tell you how much I watch. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but, um, but I think like this is an interesting debate, right? When you have two very big and, and frankly, very powerful companies providing user experiences on each other's platform, like which conventions do you use and which do you don't? So, you know, like how you play and pause video, like feels like it should be part of the native platform. But at the same time, like, I love to see all the innovation of all these different video apps, you know? So um, I think that's a pretty interesting debate. It is. Um, but then at sometimes I feel like using, um, like, a connected device on a TV is like watching cable where you have a different remote control for every channel. Yeah, it's so odd. I, it's yeah, odd. So I don't know. Well, it's I'm, almost like you do, it's, it's unfortunate when companies' politics or they're trying to send a message to one another interfere with good user experience. It's almost like working at a big company when the groups are segmented and they each want to get their own thing live to site. And, you know, the user doesn't understand that like messenger was designed by a different team than the news feed. Right. right. They just want it all to work together. Right. So, yeah. 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 That, that's true. That does come out where the, like the org chart shows up in the interface yes. all the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, interesting. So uh, anyway, Hey, design partner, we have the same title. Yes, we do. I was just going to ask you like, what's your job? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm six months in, so I'm still figuring a bit of that out. Um, I'm lucky enough where I came into a pretty well-established team. Um, I'm going to brag for a second, but the cool thing about the GV team is I think it is actually the largest design team in venture. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. um, There are four of us right now, might be a fifth at some point, Um, but we've got, you know, an awesome uh, user experience researcher. We've got a facilitator slash producer. And then um, two of us that are functioning as design partners. And we do kind of a mixture of things. I mean, the first thing and foremost, we're responsible for helping out the portfolio companies. You know, that's that's what they're there for. And that's our big benefit ad. So, you know, to back up for a second, when the guys started GV, they were thinking, okay, well, you could take money from anywhere else on Sand Hill Road or, or anywhere else. Like, why would someone want to take money from us? And we were started by some pretty successful entrepreneurs. And what they realized was like, okay, in addition to money, what we really wanted at the beginning was some help, like just experts. You know, we're an early startup. We don't have a PR team. We don't have design experts. We don't have a great marketing team. Like, wouldn't it be great to get some help? And so that's why we've got the operating teams. So the first thing we do is really help the portfolio companies. And we help them on a few things. Um, The first is the somewhat less expected, but we really try to do strategy. 
So this isn't about we're not your agency on call when you need a logo or something like that. We really try to work at the strategy level. And a lot of that um, starts with getting in at the founder level. Do they understand and appreciate what design can do for their business? We have a lot of those conversations. And then also working with product leaders, engineering leaders, and also, you know, heads of design, or we help them get their heads of design, thinking through, um, you know, their their user segments, their go-to-market strategy, how they want to launch things, um, all sorts of things like that. You know, if we went in and said, we want to do your product strategies, founders don't usually like that. So we kind of use design as a Trojan horse and and get in at the strategy level. Um, Then we also spend a lot of our time on kind of people and ops stuff. Um, we are not really at the seed stage that much anymore. So we've, we've worked with a lot of teams that have pretty good sized design teams, but like many of us who were first time managers at once, you know, you're, you're go from one day designer, the next day I'm running a team and what do I do? So we help a lot of first time um, and early design managers kind of get their bearings. We help them with everything from, you know, how do I write a career ladder? How do mm. I negotiate salaries? What's my hiring plan? Um, how do I hire great designers in a world where people like Facebook and Google are sucking them all up? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when and how do I add user research? You know, what about content strategy? Is that important? So really, they're, they're people strategy, which is super important. And then we do get involved at the design level. You know, that's that's the bread and butter at, at the end of the day. Things like, you know, last week I remotely attended a critique in New York. You know, they were working on a new um, IA for a site that they're working on and wanted some feedback. Um, We bring in teams and we do, you know, design workshops. Um, You know, people are familiar with the Sprint book. We do sprints, things like that. So it's kind of that three-pronged strategy. Sprint book written by uh, former members, I think. Former members, unfortunately, but yes. Google Ventures (laughs) design team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but still sort of... uh, originating from the methodology you use with your portfolio companies. I think that's brilliant. We do. We They're gone, but certainly not forgotten. It's a phenomenal, I, I still plug the book all the time. In fact, it was one of the reasons I wanted to join the team. When they were writing the book, I wrote to, Joe, uh, to Jake, one of the authors, and I said, please, can I have an early copy? I was at Wealthfront at the time. And I was like, I want to run a sprint. I want to know how to do it. And I got a really early galley copy, actually, that hadn't even been printed yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it to Wealthfront. I'm like, we're going to run one of these. And it, I wasn't supposed to share it, but it kind of made its way around Wealthfront and, you know, had some early believers in the book. So, uh, yeah, I had Jake on the show here last year mm-hmm. sometime. Um, and uh, he and I were reminiscing about uh, before he was at Google Ventures, he was on my team at Google and we did a bunch of these things. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. So some of yes, that, so like, you're an early believer. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> essentially, like prototypes of this prototyping process we yes. um we went through a, a, a bunch of that stuff um and i still i still love it and um have yeah. done with some of the teams uh in our portfolio as well although nice. i i'm just it's just me so there's no sort yeah. of program around <laughs> it like like the way you guys have done it I, yeah I have a lot of respect watching from the outside what you guys have been doing it's great thank you um so but you guys don't get involved on the uh investing side is that right no we don't well I shouldn't say we don't. No, we are not investing partners. However, the cool thing about the GV culture is that it's, it's very open and transparent. It's not like one investor is kind of, you know, quietly doing deals in one corner while the other right. is doing the others. Right. We're invited to all of the pitches. So I regularly get to sit in and watch entrepreneurs do pitches. And um, we're asked to introduce ourselves. We talk about design and the power of design. Um, if there are pitches that come in that are especially kind of consumer focused or something I think I could help out with from a brand positioning standpoint or a new market they're going into. I absolutely speak up and um, we're involved before the close of the deal. And a lot of times, hopefully we're a carrot to get some of them in the door. Oh yeah, Um, that's that's true. That's something I think a lot of people don't quite understand about the whole VC world is that it is like kind of weirdly competitive in both directions, right? Like uh, on one hand, you really want diligence around this founder and this idea and this market, and you're really pushing on it and challenging them and trying to make sure, right? Because like, you know, right. it's a lot of money. <laughs> you, don't yes. lose, uh, you don't want to lose it. Um, but at the same time, they are doing this with, you know, four, five, six other VCs potentially, oh, es- yeah. especially if they've got, a, you know, if they've got a little momentum going. And so you're also, while you're challenging them, you're selling them. And it's kind of a weird conversation. It is a weird dance. And I mean, another way we actually get involved in uh, investing is, 
you know, we apply what we do for portfolio companies to GV. You know, recently we did a whole audit of kind of the founder experience. You know, uh, what is it like to come in and pitch at GV? Is it positive? Is it negative? Do they get interesting questions? Are people well read up? How does the tech work? And kind of apply our own processes on designing the experiences for people working, you know, or coming in and potentially getting an investment for, for GV. Um, I've run a sprint just in analyzing our own decision-making product processes. So Super cool. um, while I'm not writing the checks, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm learning a ton. You know, I've never worked at an investing firm before. I'm learning a ton and it's, it's fun to apply what we know to, to what we do internally as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I do a little bit of that too. in in, yeah. in my work uh, last year, I hired a uh, agency that's made up of a former adaptive path staff uh, and had them do with us a research project into kind of like the emotional journey map sort of service design yeah. ethnography thing around how founders make their decisions. And we talked to founders that were in our portfolio and founders who uh, who said no to us and yeah. um, and founders who had never heard of us and as a way of, you know, because I'm like, I'm a product guy and I'm like, yeah. what, is, what is our product? And is it yeah. relevant? Is the product that they designed 10 years ago at the, at the beginning of the firm still relevant today. And largely it is, but there's, there's all this nuance around it that has changed in these years. There, and so, there is. Yeah. Um, and so unfortunately, we're taking, we probably can't share our work with one another. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, but the, the work that we have done, we're taking that now. And now I'm turning that into an actual branding project and talking to agencies and like figuring out how do we externalize this and set a messaging and um, and a visual representation of the brand. And so I'm super Very excited cool. about that. So. Yeah, actually, I mean, the one thing that I didn't mention, probably because I haven't gotten to do too much of it yet, is is around the GV brand. Um, and we're fortunate enough where GV believes in design. You know, we've, we've got the team, but we've got the platform and they've given us the time to be able to write and share and kind of open source things, you know. So Sprint works for us. We want to share it for the with the world, you know, and um, what we've been doing over the past six months is also just looking at what are the most common requests that we get. Mm -hmm. There's usually just a few of them, literally like every portfolio company, a design leader, like there's a couple questions they ask you and, you know, you, you hit repeat. Um, and so also just looking at how to productize those or turn them into workshops and then eventually like share them out with the world. Um, I'm still really passionate about, uh, you know, trying to you know, poke holes in the, you know, in the, in where we are as a design industry and, and constantly try to move us forward. And what's nice about not just working at one company, but working with a breadth of them is you can see all these different things in action and kind of agitate things and, and try to challenge status quo. Yeah. Yeah. That breath is really, you know, it's, I keep, I keep telling people it's like, it's like the agency work I did years ago, uh, yeah. with all the crappy parts taken out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like all, well, and all the, cool the sales thing also and that client somebody, management. <laughs> yeah. Well, and somebody pointed this out to me too. It was like, and also the incentives are different, right? I'm not totally, looking for totally. more billable hours. Right. Like if, if you go into a company or I go into a company, you know, we're both looking for the same thing. Their success is our success. You know, if I can jump in and out in two hours, that's awesome. I can yeah, move on to yeah. my next project. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, but like, I don't know about you, but I never in a million years thought my career would end up in finance. It's, I think it's pretty weird, but, um, no, I don't think my career is in finance. I, don't, I won't say that. <laughs> well, it depends who I'm talking to. Like that's if I'm tired true. and I don't really want to have a conversation and somebody's like, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm in finance. They never ask me any more questions. That's so it's, true. It's if I'm on an airplane, out. I can use that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Hey, are you a freelancer? Then you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business. Our friends at FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours with their cloud accounting software for freelancers that's ridiculously easy to use. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. Let me give you just two examples of how they do this. First, FreshBooks automates late payment email reminders, so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic. Uh, here's another one. With the new projects feature, you can share files and messages with your clients, contractors, and employees. You can see how quickly things happen when all of your conversations live in one place. So if you're listening to this and you're not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of Presentable. No credit card is required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash 
presentable and enter presentable in how did you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show and for all of Relay FM. You have been in design leadership for a number of years, uh, mm-hmm. and you've been talking about that a little bit. And uh, I saw you uh, when you were in London uh, last fall at the it was the design leading design conference, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, this is and by the way, this is a plug, but it is a not very um, it's not a not a paid promotion. But the Clear Left team, the agency Clear Left do the best conferences. I just love it. They do um, this this leading design conference every year. They do uh, UX London. Um, and I think they just put together a great, great set of content, great group of speakers. Yeah, it was my first time there. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was a balance of like really concrete stuff that I could take away. But I also just really valued the candor. Everyone who got up on stage kind of shared both their triumphs and their miseries, you know, and, and you really felt like you you had both a community of people kind of there to support you, but also kind of experts on stage willing to share and, and open up about things, which I think is so important to all of us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the way forward in the industry, you know, like that's how we have our peer group and and um, and share our ideas and inspire each other, frankly. Yes. Um, uh, but you were talking about having a seat at the table, and I find that yeah. really interesting. Like I was looking through your... Um, uh, your CV, and you uh, mentioned being part of, oh, I wrote it down. Now, where is it? An M team? Was that what it was yeah. called at Facebook? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and to me, that sounded like uh, some kind, we had at, at Adobe, we had op staff, which were like basically the people that reported to the CEO. Yeah. And, um, and presenting at op staff was like, you know, the, the gold ring you reached for, the brass ring or whatever it is. Um, like, you know, to get in front of that group and stuff, but to have a seat at that table, I think is something that has not happened very often in the, in the, in the world of design, you know, like that has been a long time coming and it's because we have people with 10, 15, 20 years experience now in leadership of design that are now, and the value of design in the industry, I think is making that impossible, but you've been doing that for a little while. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, so maybe if I just drill right in on that M team thing, like tell me what that was about and what that was like. This is very early at Facebook, right? Yeah, well, it was five years in, but still pretty early. Uh, when I joined, yeah, Facebook was about five years in. Uh, they actually had a pretty good design team. Mark from the beginning understood how important design was. He had a very early designer. He knew it was a product company. He knew getting the user experience was really, really important. Um, but when he was looking for kind of his uh, there was a woman running the team, but he, he he wanted kind of somebody that could build a cross-functional organization, so not just product design, but how do we fold in mm. user research? Mm. Do we need content? Should we have an engineering team that just works with design? He really, you know, had decided, he's like, I, we have a great team, but I want to turn into this kind of world-class organization. And I remember interviewing with him a few evenings in his conference room, and he was just so curious. You know, I said, is this a, how user-driven or user-centered is Facebook? And he's like, what does that mean? You know, uh, I mean, he's, yeah. he was like this consummate learner. Um, and it was really interesting. You know, he told me right up front, he's like, I've interviewed a lot of people that want to be creative director and want to tell me what to do and everything. He's like, that's, that's not what this job is. He's like, this is a company. We're going to build things together, and I need you to bring in the best people and be thinking six to 12 months out and, and make sure that we're building the right team and that the insights coming from the team really are distributed and shared and help us make better decisions. Um, So the M team was not all, I didn't report directly into Mark. Um, I reported into product, but it was kind of the heads of of the most critical um, functions in the company. I wasn't on M team at the very beginning, but I was on, I think about two years in, they Uh decided to add a few more of us in. Um, yeah, and it was awesome. You know, we didn't get together a ton, you know, once once a month or once every couple months. Um, but it was a great signal um, out to the entire Facebook company that design really did matter when we were making big decisions. Interesting. And so um, that was an opportunity to to make sure that the issues from various generally siloed organizations were sort of vetted and exposed and things like that. Is that, is that what you guys were doing? It was. I mean, it's interesting. I've sat on other executive teams that function more like that. The mm-hmm. one at Facebook was a little bit different in that they have everybody had a remarkable knack, or maybe it was our communication methods and, and how often we met, where um, it, it wasn't like the first time design has, had peeked its head out. You know, it, we, were, right. we all worked in sync pretty well. Um, the M team mostly got together in order to make really 
big strategic decisions for the company. I remember sitting in the room when we were like, okay, this is the year we're going to be mobile first. You know, it was those kinds of conversations. But, you know, when your CEO says you've got to go be mobile first and every function has to come back to me with a plan, you know, it's it's a big, (laughs) it's a big charge. Sure. Um, Whereas when I was on the uh, executive team at Wealthfront, um, a lot of the folks on that executive team really hadn't thought about design in their everyday decisions. And that really was a chance to kind of bring user perspective design thinking to the table um, as we were making decisions on everything from, you know, when to do financing or how to expand the brand, um, how to change who we were targeting, what products to launch, when and how, all of those kinds of things. Um, Very active discussions where uh, design definitely needed to be heard. And I, and I was one of the first people to bring it there. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I could see at, uh, at a, at an organization like Facebook, there would be a keen awareness of like, you know, if engagement is the holy grail, um, and, and the overwhelming amount of sort of data analytics that goes on behind that, that the, the attention to detail and like every pixel of this user interface affects that in a way. Yes. Uh, and who are the people who have their hands on the pixels? Then like, Oh my God, like we have to get them here. And like, you know, that that's going to be part of every prioritization decision and, and things like that. But oh it, yeah. I mean, it was funny when I got, when I arrived at Facebook, it was we, like, we sat, you know, Facebook was uh, about a thousand people at the time. We <laughs> had the aisle right next to Mark's office. <laughs> like it was very common to see a designer in there one-on-one with him hashing things out. So again, me being put on the executive team, you know, it, it was great to be there, but it wasn't about, oh gosh, now design matters. Kate's right. going to tell us how it works. It right. was it was very baked into the organization. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Mark created the first interface with probably yes. by hand, right? Like, yeah. so um, <laughs> I would imagine, like, you know, he um, he he would have he would have that connection to it, as opposed to a place like Wealth Wealthfront, right? Which yeah. is um, I would imagine that a user interface design was not on the resume of the CEO of that company, right? Uh, no. However, so there were there were two CEOs while I was there. Um, the first one when I was there actually, uh, he did understand HCI, and and he was the one who hired me. He mm-hmm. was the one that spotted uh, he spotted the opportunity to um, to bring an emphasis on design and and understanding the user base in order to kind of improve and expand Wealthfront's reach. So it's a little more abstract though, right? Like very much so, right? Like the quality of the user experience is going to be more like a trailing indicator of churn or something like that, right? Like you have to to build, uh, right. You know, Wealthfront, it was so complicated. I mean, really it was more complicated than working at Facebook. Think about (laughs) how design was going to fit in, in that here we were building. So for people that don't know, Wealthfront is basically an investing app. So we would take money and we would diversify it. And it was meant to be long-term. It was not a short-term investment. So um, in the most simple of terms. And so when you're thinking about long-term investment, engagement is kind of the enemy of that, right? Right. (laughs) Don't mess with this. No, like don't actually check it every day. We had a team (laughs) and we had engagement goals. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What's an engagement goal for a long-term investing app? But we had to think, okay, if somebody does come here, how do you make financial information digestible, because it can be very complicated, right? Um, and also, how do you arm people with the right information in order to make good decisions? Because making financial decisions is very emotional. So how can we understand the emotions of the people that are using it and and help them, you know, really guard against themselves? It was it's quite interesting. Mm, yeah, I bet. Well, that kind of feeds into a little bit about what you've been talking about and writing about a little bit around this idea of kind of uh, what the responsibility is of a de- designer who has that seat at the table. I'm wondering if you could talk through that just a little bit. You have it kind of broken up into like users and business and team and self as this hierarchy sort of, do I have that yeah. right? Yeah. So it's funny, I can get on my soapbox a bit when I, um, when I think about design leadership, you know, do it. I, uh, <laughs> I think I, you know, I can still remember and, and you and I are roughly the same age group. I can remember years where, you know, when, uh, I had to do a design, somebody would come to my desk and tell me what to do. And I can remember really old days when I would then go mount my design on Blackboard and give it to somebody and they would go get the feedback on it and bring me back the feedback. I wasn't even invited to meetings to present my own work. I mean, the designer was really just a service person in the corner who made things look good. Um, So, you know, 
us old folks have fought (laughs) to get that seat at the table, you know, step by step by step. And, you know, slowly it was like, hey, if I could just come hear the feedback just once or twice, I think I could do a better job. Or if you just let me present why I made these decisions, I think we could get this design through a little bit better. And then it was, you know, you, you move up the chain slowly. It said, hey, if I understood the business goals that you guys are trying to, to work through, I think I could actually do a better job. Or, hey, if you, you know, let me sit on the brand strategy conversation, then I can do an even better job, you know. And I was lucky enough where a lot of what I just talked about was happening at eBay. So I joined eBay uh, in 2001. And literally, like the first month I was there, this guy, Marty Kagan, came in. He's like, oh, yeah. This, yeah, this great guy. He came yeah. in. They hired him. And he's like, I'm going to start a user experience team. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I happened to be there at a time where we really were building one of the earlier large teams. We had research. We had content. We had communication design. We had product design. And... Um, I got a lot of exposure to really excellent product managers. I got a lot of exposure to really great business people. Um, And that's just, it's kind of where I I cut my chops and and grew up. Um, But I very quickly at eBay decided I wanted to manage a team because, and I'm getting back to the design management piece and and my soapbox. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, designers, I think what we do is so valuable. And I, and I think that it's a special talent. And I think I understand that designers need time. And sometimes our processes can be unpredictable. You know, I might have inspiration today, but might not come for two weeks, and we need time to ourselves. I think what we do is special, and it's precious and should be preserved by a company. But I do think that sometimes we let that preciousness get to us a bit. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I still see designers who finally do get involved, you know, get invited to the business meetings, not really focusing on the business and understanding things, or designers thinking more about their personal aesthetic than what the team should be doing um, or what's better for the user. So um, basically, the, the prioritization uh framework that I that I put out there was the idea that when a team sets its goals or a designer sets its goals within the team, there are basically four categories that everyone should be focused on and in kind of rank order. So user. So first thing a design team really should be doing is serving the user. And one of the reasons I say this is that a design team should be also be bringing user insights to the rest of the organization. So not only are you designing for a user, you need to be bringing user insights to the rest of the organization. And if you don't have a user or a customer or a client, whatever you want to call them, you don't have a business. Right. right. So user, then the second one is business. Um, what are you doing to understand and serve the needs of the business? So understand what the engagement metrics are at Facebook. Understand the number of accounts that we need to have signed up at Wealthfront. Um, understand maybe that pricing is going up and why, you know, like pricing has a major effect on user experience. Right. <laughs> So, um, and then team. So a lot of designers, I, I, con- I get concerned they don't think enough about the design team. Um, so putting others before you. So sometimes that means being more generous in a critique and helping others out. Sometimes that means, you know, designing within the system before you're breaking the rules, hmm. things like that. And then putting yourself in there. Yourself is obviously important. Um, but it, it can't come first at the sacrifice of, of these other things. And, um, you know, even our, in our portfolio companies, too often um, I see design leaders going in with the best of intentions, but um, other functions being kind of turned off by the point of view that they express because it's not put into context of what the user of the business needs. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. There is, and there's an interesting tension in that, in that, uh, I, agree, I absolutely agree with that hierarchy. Um, and with this idea of putting kind of putting yourself behind those other objectives and prioritizing that way, while that feels a little, um, almost at odds with the idea of advocacy for design in the organization, and, um, and it is about like putting users first as a way of doing that. But so often that can get confused with like design needs to be more powerful here. So I need to step up and I need to be stronger and I need to fight for it. And it really feels like it can very easily flip into this egocentric push for me to be more powerful in the organization. Therefore, we can have more effect on our users. You see that kind yes. of tension in that. I, I definitely do. But I, I also believe the best way and the number one way to get 
you know, if, if you're focused on, on getting design more power in an organization, serve the business, serve the users, you know, like go talk to the people running the business, ask them what keeps them up at night and use yeah. design to help them solve their problems. That's the best way. Yeah. Um, yeah. An example comes to mind. I literally had this, this conversation last week. There's a, um, someone who runs a design team in, in one of our portfolio companies. And uh, he brought to me kind of the two kind of super goals for his design organization for 2018 and one of my feedback. And the first one, and it was written this way, it says, I want design to have more influence at the company. And the second one was make this X company a great place for designers to work. Hmm. So I like the second one, you know, it was focused on people. How can we build our practice, et cetera. But the first one, you know, I want design to have more influence. Right. And I, I, I said to him, I said, put yourself in the shoes of somebody else and you just go to them and say, my goal is to have more influence. I want some so of I, your power. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, sure, sure. You know, but, but what was so interesting is after asking him a couple questions, okay, talk to me, what does influence mean to you? Like, how will you know you have influence? What he really wanted, which was great, they had been doing all this user testing and no one was using the data from the user testing and the, and the user experience research in order to inform kind of the, the product roadmap process. You know, what are we going to build? And I said, okay, <laughs> why don't we reframe this as we want uh, the product process to be more user-centered. I'm like, who is going to argue with that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no one's going to argue with that. I forget the exact wording that we used. But eventually we reframed it from design has more influence to let's make, you know, the, the product planning process more informed by the people actually using our product. Like no one's going to argue with you on that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes just a, it's just a flip of perspective can be quite helpful. Yeah, totally. It kind of, that kind of reminds me of some advice I got very early in my career, which was uh, one way to be successful and get promoted in an organization is to help relieve the anxieties of the people you report to. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. This episode of Presentable is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper are the company focused on sleep, and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend a third of your life sleeping. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, you'd want to make sure it was the best it can possibly be. And that's why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. So... What goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? They combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps you regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash presentable using presentable at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com slash presentable and offer code presentable. We thank Casper for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So uh, the first uh, one of the categories uh, around this prioritization was the user. And you said, if you don't have customers, you don't have the business. Clearly. Um, but the idea these customers are humans and people and that we can connect the organization to them more. Um, I have been thinking about ways of kind of evaluating companies uh, for how user-centered they really are. Um, you know, asking things like, has a company ever stopped a product release from happening because of a user experience issue that they determined? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, the technology was ready. There was a deadline. Marketing was set. And like somebody said, it's not good enough. And we have some qualitative research or something that shows and everything stops until that's fixed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you will see that in very many companies. I don't, like when I yeah. ask and when I, right. Um, stuff like that. Or like, um, to, to your point, who is the highest ranking person in the company with any experience in design? Like, do they yes. report to the CEO? Are they on this yes. leadership team? Those kinds of things. I think those are some, indicators of the kind of user-centeredness of, a, of yes. a business. Yes, I agree. And, and you know, it's interesting. I, I don't, and it's funny because I've been accused of my teams in the past for not sticking up for design enough. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> give in too easily, to, to be honest, because I, you know, I, and you've probably experienced this too. It's a oh, never-ending yeah. oh, yeah. kind of balance between 
sticking up for what you believe is right versus like, look, really for the business and, and for the speed of getting something to market, like we've just got to make this tough call and the design team isn't going to ha- be happy. And it's um, a long game too. Like, it's a very long game. Okay, I might have to compromise on this thing so I know that we can do this thing three, four, you know, release cycles out or longer or whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so when I say user-centered, it is not about, okay, what does the user want? The user is always right, that kind of thing. In my mind, it's, it's almost more user, how much do they understand the people that are using the product in order to inform their decisions? Like they might very well make a decision where they know short-term it's not in the user's best interest, but long-term it, it plays out well against the product strategy. I, mean, I remember sitting in reviews with Mark at Facebook when we decided that Messenger was going to be its own app. So there was going to be a time when you were in the Facebook app, you clicked, I want to get a message. And we said, you must go download the app. You must, you know, and you've got to click into another app. And we were like, are you kidding me? Like, this is terrible, right? But we all, you know, kind of locked arms and said, okay, this is the right thing for where things are going to be in a few months. And we're willing to kind of take the hit in the meantime. Right. Yeah. But it, it yeah. took that kind of nuanced understanding. And also to your point, the understanding that like long term we would get what we wanted. Um, but if I was just blindly kind of like, you know, if, if you can't just be that, you know, recording over and over and over again, the user's going to hate this. The user's going to hate this. You know, like right. people will stop listening to you after a while. It's more about bringing understanding. So we, so we went back and we said, okay, if this is the decision, then we have to make the switch into the new app really, really fast. Like speed was going to be on our side. So it was like, okay, now it's an engineering problem, you know? So it's like, it's this constant balance of, of uh, playing the business and the user kind of against each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you talk a lot about acting like an owner in the business, yeah. right? Tell me a little bit about yeah. that. Um, so I, th- I think there are a few things that uh, design leaders and, and really a designer should understand. It's one, you know, how does how does your company make money? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of how well are you doing (laughs) relative to that? Um, And then also, you know, how, how is money kind of allocated across the board? And, And what I mean by that is that I have sat in on a number of kind of budgeting conversations, right? So if, if you're, if you're the head of a, of a function at a company many times, you know, you'll go away once, twice a year, and everybody will kind of come up with their budget or, you know, what they need for the year. I need this many headcount. I need this much money for travel and entertainment. I need this yeah. much for user studies, et cetera, right? And when I would go out to the design team, because I would always want to involve them in the process, okay, what do you guys think we need? Many times it was a very uninformed kind of answer that I would get. I mean, I've had people ask for, insane amounts of money to go to conferences like across the world that they've never heard of at a startup where like we need to still get financing, (laughs) you know, right? or, you know, we need 17 more designers. I'm like, did you notice that product management's only getting two more people, you know? So, so this idea that when you walk in every day is everybody's time being utilized the best way. We know that we cost the company money. Let's make sure that we're, we're utilizing it appropriately. And I find that design to be one of the functions that sometimes is a bit frankly, ignorant or, or negligent of really understanding their context and their place in the larger organization. Mm-hmm. You don't often talk to, talk to a salesperson or a finance person or even a marketing person or a product person when they know the, the dynamics of how their team is going to expand and the effect it'll have on the company. They know the goals they have to hit or they, they don't expand or they don't get their bonuses. But the design team don't usually understand a lot of that right 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 i always would get so much um uh just pushback and complaints about what felt like totally arbitrary deadlines for the work yeah yeah and um and to me that represented a a misunderstanding negligence good word uh, that you used just now of how the company um like the cycles of the company and how that affected their revenue and their reporting. And this was, you know, for example, at Adobe, which is a publicly trading company with quarterly uh, earnings and guidance and having to hit those numbers and, um, and and seeing what the drivers were on that uh, can give people a sense, even of like how ambitious they are in the scope of the feature set that they're, they're planning and designing and researching around. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, one of the, the nice things at Facebook that we had was uh, we did regular design reviews with Mark, but there was always kind of the beginning of kind of every 
design review, there was kind of a business update. So again, you know, messengers and easy. I sat in on all the messenger reviews for a year or two. You know, we would always have the chart that said, okay, this is what's going on with WhatsApp before we owned it. This is what's going on with Snapchat, you know, all these kinds of things. And it was like, we realized if we did not get something to market quickly, <laughs> like there was no chance of even catching up. Like there was no there there. So um, really encouraging the designers. It's okay to ask what's driving this deadline. You should ask what's driving this deadline, but listen carefully to, to the answer you're given. And yes, sometimes there are arbitrary things that, that happen and, and for, for good reasons you should push back. But, um, you know, especially in this world of like when things can get out so fast and there's such competition, um, that, that never ending kind of struggle between like, you know, speed and quality is, is, is really difficult. Um, and many times it hits the designers right in the face. I mean, that's, that's really where it meets, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Also interesting the way that like the deeper your understanding of literally like the drivers of the business to put that into the way in which you present new design to, especially to executives is yes. that's like the, the silver bullet, right? Magic. Like I, yeah. Like I remember when we were at Adobe and there were essentially just four numbers. There were like the number of new subscribers we get. This is a transition from like static units of like shipped boxes to subscribers, uh-huh. right? So whole new way of thinking about the business. And there's this new subscriber count. There's the amount they paid, right? The, the ASP, the average selling price. But then there was these other two things that they had never really had before, which was aver- average revenue per existing user. Right. So, mm. you know, we signed somebody up for a $20 a month subscription, but there are features and, um, and add-ons and things that we could design into the product that would be beneficial to the user experience and something people would be willing to pay more for. And that's where you see things like Adobe acquiring, um, you know, a stock photography company, you know, so you have your subscription, but then more content that you could use in your work. And then, right. Uh, and then of course there's churn, which, you mm-hmm. never would think of in a software business that just shipped boxes, right? Like, like they would think very kind of broadly about well, in 18 months, how many people will upgrade, but every month somebody makes a decision of whether they're going to cancel or not. So having a designer st- stand up and give a presentation for a set of features for the next version and trying to get sort of some sense of buy-in from uh, a management team or an executive, a set of executives and saying, here's how I think this feature is going to affect this number, this number, this number, and this number. Like, yeah, golden. Oh, you'll get a standing ovation. <laughs> so few designers actually do that. Absolutely. I mean, to, almost to your point, um, if, if you open your presentation by telling you, by telling the team, you know, how you're going to solve their problems, you, you will, you will get pretty far. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. solve your anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, they're, they're, that's like, they that's worth 10,000 units right there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good. Um, yeah. Framing it up that way as well. Uh, and then yeah, team. So, I, you know, I think a lot about leadership and management with design and leading from behind and putting the team ahead of myself and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But, but what I hear from you is also team members, individual contributors thinking about the team first. Like when you say like, start with the design system before you go off on, on some other tangent, you know, things like that. Ah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we were really explicit on when we were building the Facebook team and we had, we had to hire a lot of people was we Somehow into the screening process, we had to, when we were interviewing people, weed out people that we felt like were just coming to kind of leave their thumbprint on the site or (laughs) get their next portfolio piece. I mean, I I still remember days when people would say, oh, this isn't going to be good for my portfolio. (laughs) Luckily, it's probably been 10 years since I've heard anybody utter that, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, um, but, but putting the team beforehand. And this doesn't mean that you can't be an innovative designer, but you have to understand kind of the context in which you're designing, you know, both for the user, making sure that they've got a consistent experience, but also, um, you know, recognizing that you're a part of a team that probably can push your ideas further. And at the same way you can push their ideas further and um, working together usually yields a, a better outcome. It's everything from like thinking through systems designs and things like that. But also, you know, critique is a really big part of, of being on a design team and oh, yeah. giving one another feedback and being kind and, and, and generous and supportive, but also honest um, and, and talking about trade-offs is, 
is a really big determination of, of how well a design culture kind of functions. Mm, yeah. And those that really value one another and believe in each other's talent and believe that it has to be done as a team always do so much better um, when they think that way. Yeah, so much value on candor. That that yes. honest that honesty with uh, a sense of of like respect and caring for the person that yes. you're giving the feedback to for sure. You know, this also brings to mind like who is the team really, right? Like designers are often in this position of like I report up into a design team, but I spend all day long on a product team with a bunch of engineers and product managers and stuff like that. Yeah, like and so where where are the loyalties and you know like yeah that's um. It, it's I think tough. It's, no, I, yeah. I, mean, I remember when I put that slide up, somebody was like, well, what about the company? I was like, a team can be just anything larger than yourself, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, but, but very specifically, whenever, you know, I was, I was actively managing design teams on our roadmap would actually be team initiatives. Like what do we need as a team to be better functioning? Anything from things very technical, you know, like building a, you know, an, an easier uh, style guide, you know, something that was built into the code to how can we spend time together as a team and improve the culture or how can we improve where we sit or do we need better software? Anything that, you know, made the team function better was always on my priority list. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and then you, you do all of that and you worry about, you know, the users and the company and the team. And at some point, like, you have to take care of yourself. Yes. <laughs> you know, a little, <laughs> little self-care. Uh, no, yeah. I know there's like, uh, obviously, like improving your craft and try to get better at what you're doing and stuff like that. But there's a lot of ways that it, that expresses itself. Yeah, it does. And, you know, by putting self last, I don't actually mean by, you know, I don't mean that someone should put themselves last. I I hope that in any, you know, well-functioning team that people actually do feel like they can put themselves first in a lot of ways and, and think about their own needs and think about their own careers. Um, so, yeah, no self can be all sorts of things. Um, you know, it can be anything from just making sure that, you know, you many designers, I think it's a it's an interesting time to, to come into the industry as a designer because there's so many different career paths you can take these days. You know, you can... You can go just the straight product design route. You can become more of a brand designer. You can become a design manager. There's room for sketching and facilitating and and all these kinds of things. So um, allowing people to kind of find their specialty within design, um, I think, is is really cool. And and kind of embracing that and and making sure that you're, you know, progressing on your career path, Um, you know, and, and... Focus on the self is also hopefully meaning that you've got a good manager looking out for you as well, and you've got somebody that's supporting you um, in your growth. You know, that actually uh, just occurs to me that I have not seen a lot of discussion research or, or anything really on the, the the kind of the career path for somebody who wishes to remain uh, a more and more senior individual contributor. Like I have seen a lot of that yeah. on the engineering side, right? Where yeah. you get up into worlds of like architecture and yeah. um, and systems design and like on on and on and, and stuff like that, but not not really at the design level. Like there's always this sort of expectation that you'll go into design leadership and you'll become yeah. a manager and then you'll become an executive and like. Yeah, yeah, that, it's so unfortunate, and I and I will pat myself on the back for a moment. The the last three places I worked where I was running the team, one of the first things I did was write in career ladders and stuff. I've got a worksheet now that I share with people. Here's how to write them. And the first thing I'd always do is make sure that there was the the um, the individual contributor ladder extended as high as the um, as the management ladder. Mm-hmm. There's a few reasons. I think, you know. <laughs> Management isn't for everyone, and if you're not into it, you shouldn't go into oh, it. Right. We've all been the victim of like people that probably shouldn't have been doing it. And if you go into management for the wrong reasons, things like I'm going to have more power, I'm going to have more say, you'll be very sorely disappointed. Unfortunately, you're going to have more spreadsheets, and you're going to have more yes, meetings. Like. Yes. So not only like should you not go into it if it's not your thing. I hate seeing. It's interesting. Um, since I came to GV, we, we have kind of like this list of a bunch of designers we just think are doing great work, um, kind of at this very senior level. And I, and I went out and got coffee with a lot of them, and I was asking them kind of about this pressure. I said, how have you been able to remain, you know, a designer for 10, 12, 15 years without having to manage a team? And they're like, well, they ask me to do it all the time. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate for the industry, for the design discipline, 
because you've got people with all this experience and then you want to like take them away from what they're doing, right, right. from what they love. Like, it, you know, these are people that are just like, you know, figuring it all out and, and they can be such great mentors and, and, and craftspeople and they've got such good perspective and, and, and critique and on their own work. Um, but there is a lot of pressure for them to go into management. Um, I feel like more and more companies I'm speaking with are, are understanding that and trying to give people a path to the top. Um, you know, I'm trying to also convince them, these companies that like your highest level individual contributors, it's not that they're sitting off by themselves. They can actually have a huge impact on your team, even without managing them. Right. Like Mm -hmm. one of the things I also always had written into my career ladder was that as you moved up and got paid more and have more responsibility, you also had the responsibility of making those around you better. So whether it was mentorship and sitting in on somebody else's project or running the critiques or doing a lecture series or, you know, just sharing your work um, more broadly, uh, senior people should not, are never just sitting in the corner. They, they can have impact, great impact on an organization without having to manage. Yeah, I was having uh, lunch this week with a friend who uh, is my age, a long, long career in engineering. And that's now one of the most senior individual contributors at uh, Uber on the self-driving stuff. Uh, And I'm like, what is your job? What do you do? And he's like, I get to play with cards and stuff. It's really cool. But I spend Mm -hmm. most of my time mentoring, you know, like that's what he was doing. And so he would still be very involved in algorithm design and systems planning and all of that kind of very deep level stuff. But at the end of the day, it is like, we have all of these people that need to write better code. And, you know, and that is how he spent. And that's not management. That's no, how like, sad would it have been though if he got pulled into some management thing and he was sitting all day now like calibrating people and doing headcount and planning where he and, wasn't interested yes. and all that kind of knowledge that he's got to share would be not shared. Yeah, right. So um so that yeah, like I think we could continue to sort of publicize and invest in that sort of uh like an industry wide career path for designers to yeah, do. Yeah, huge you know? believer in that. Yeah, yeah that would yeah, be good. The principal design track. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I will put some links into some uh, in the show notes here to some of your writing and some of the stuff we've talked about. Anything else you'd like to point people at? Uh, no, I mean, the GV library, uh, there's been a lot of yeah. writing prior to me getting to the team. There are all sorts of great articles um, in there, both about building your career or running better critiques or how to hire, how to incorporate uh, user research into what you're doing. Um I'm happy to plug that as well. Yeah, good. I'll put a link to that. There is a ton of good stuff. I refer to that all the time. Great stuff in there. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Awesome. Kate, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Excellent. Nice to chat with you. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Bean and this was Presentable. Presentable.